Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host each week as we delve into the political happenings here in the United States. So, how's everybody doing? It's been uh, a rough and tumble week in the political world. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, large stories to uh, to review and some uh, some items that we want to talk about. Uh, and uh, then in the second half of the show, we're going to uh, dedicate to the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington for Jobs, Peace, and Freedom, uh, notably where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his iconic uh, speech, uh, the I Have a Dream speech. So we'll get into that in the second half of the show. Uh, but to get it kicked off, so... We had some interesting goings on this week in the political world. Uh, On Wednesday, uh, this past Wednesday, uh, eight of the nine Republican candidates uh, for uh, the uh, presidential nomination from the Republican Party uh, had their first uh, live debate. And uh, to kind of classify it now, full caveat. Um, my day job requires me to get up viciously early in the morning, so I wasn't able to stay up to watch it all in real time, but I've kind of caught up with it, uh, through reviews and, uh, other sources. Uh, but suffice to say that, uh, it was a, uh, free for all kind of gangbuster event. Uh, a lot of accusations going back and forth, a lot of people attacking uh, various candidates with one notable exception. Uh, now, keep in mind that uh, leading Republican candidate Donald Trump did not attend the debate. And while you would expect that that shouldn't have made a difference in the number of attacks uh, that he got, apparently it did. Uh, Apparently, because uh, he was not there, uh, people decided to pick on some other targets on stage. So what we ended up having was, uh, you know, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy going after uh, Mike Pence, uh, you know, Mike Pence going after uh, Nikki Haley, and so on and so forth. And uh, even though he is uh, still the 800-pound gorilla in the room, even when he's not in the room, the amount of attacks on Donald Trump were extremely light. Now, you can argue that all of the candidates on that stage were looking to uh, maintain their good status with uh, the Trump base of the Republican Party, and, you know, be that as it may. But, you know, here is the leading candidate for the nomination for president of the United States who uh, has, uh, as of Wednesday, had faced three uh, felony indictments uh, for crimes committed or alleged crimes committed uh, related to the uh, January 6th insurrection and efforts to overturn 
the votes uh, in uh, the House of Representatives, fake electors, and all of that, but that didn't seem to warrant uh, the level of attacks that I believe would have been there had Mr. Trump uh, showed up and been on stage. I think had he been there, uh, the debate would have been a very different event. Um, I could easily foresee several of the candidates going after him directly, uh, but because he wasn't there, apparently they decided to take something of a hands-off approach on him. Now, you know, you can make of that what you will. Um, frankly, I find it uh, disappointing and shows a, a lack of uh, courage and commitment on the Republican Party's point. Um, he is a candidate. He has some legitimate legal issues. Uh, that's all, as it should be, fair game for questions, uh, even if he's not there to give answers. So uh, that was one point that I think um, kind of earmarked the whole debate. Uh, I, I think a lot of people may have tuned in to see if there would be attacks on uh, Donald Trump by the other candidates, even though he wasn't on the stage with them. So, okay, be that as it may. Um, there was still a lot of fireworks, uh, a lot of back and forth that went on. Uh, the mainstream media is citing that it looks like the, um, quote, winners, close quote, or the ones that made the largest impressions were uh, Vivek Ramatsami and Nikki Haley, who both had the most aggressive uh, stances on the current issues facing the Republican Party. Uh, and, you know, it kind of left them with, you know, attacking the current administration and Joe Biden as their main uh, focus for the conversation of the evening. Um, and, you know, it it appears that uh, the the idea that all of these candidates, um, you know, were unwilling to go after uh, the front runner uh, in this case, which is usually typical uh, in a debate. <clears throat> the person who is the front runner usually is the person who takes the most incoming fire. Um, one highlight of the debate, a uh, question was raised that if the eventual nominee of the party was in fact uh, arrested and convicted, would you still support that person uh, for president? And uh, six out of the eight candidates on the stage uh, immediately raised their hands. Um, uh, Ramaswamy did not raise his, and uh, Chris Christie kind of gave some type of hand gesture kind of thing. So it wasn't quite sure whether he did uh, say that he'd support or he didn't. But afterwards, uh, he talked about um, how, you know, someone who is, you know, for indictments and likely be, is out on bail. Uh, shouldn't be uh, a candidate for president of the United States. Um, and, you know, there's, we'll talk in a minute about 
some issues uh, going around about the 14th Amendment, Section 3. But the, the debate overall, um, as I said, it was kind of a free-for-all. Uh, it was, you know, a lot of back and forth. Um, and surprisingly, uh, the, as I said, the, the performers that seemed to do the best were uh, Ramaswani and Nikki Haley. Uh, the one that seemed to have the worst night uh, was actually Ron DeSantis, who, uh, you know, if you watched him, and I, as I said, I watched some of it because I needed to go to bed to get up early in the morning for work, um, really had kind of a deer-in-the-headlights look, uh, could tell that he wasn't entirely comfortable um, being, you know, up on the stage and, and, and being in that, that environment, um, and, you know, it, it showed. Um, you know, another of the highlights of the evening was, question was raised uh, regarding uh, Vice President Pence's actions uh, during the uh, counting of the electoral ballots uh, on January 6th. And, you know, all of the participants actually gave uh, kudos to the vice president for doing his constitutional duty. Uh, And, you know, that was a a good positive moment uh, in the debate. Um, But overall, um, you know, the the top tier, you know, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Haley, Pence, uh, did relatively well, uh, caveating what I said a, a moment ago about DeSantis. Um, but the, uh, the, the lower tier candidates, uh, Heard and, and several others, um, really struggled uh, both for uh, speaking time and in their answers. So I, I don't know uh, haven't seen uh, a, a whole lot of, of polls on what the voters think about the performance of the various candidates. Um, and, you know, we will, we will dig into that and bring information as it comes around, particularly as there's another debate coming up in a month. So we will see what happens with that. All right, I mentioned a moment ago about um, the 14th Amendment. And... Uh, You know, if you've been paying attention, there's been some conversation that has come forward about, um, you know, the former president being ineligible to hold elected office because of uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is the the clause that says if uh, in an abbreviated fashion, if you supported or gave aid or, or and comfort or participated in an insurrection that you are precluded from holding election elected office, uh, you know, for all time. So there are a couple of uh, conservative lawyers uh, who are affiliated with the Federalist Society uh, are arguing that uh, Trump de facto already is uh, ineligible uh, and all that's required is for an appropriate case to be brought up from one of the states uh, to ultimately make its way to Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court would then decide that based on um, the, the third 
uh, article of the 14th Amendment, uh, whether or not Trump is excluded from uh, running for president of the United States or any other elected office in the country based on his support and uh, you know, his activities around the insurrection that occurred on January 6th. So that argument is working its way through the political circles uh, on the Republican side of the column. And we will see uh, how that plays out and we will keep you informed of it. So if the debate wasn't enough to form the political highlight of the week, uh, the following day, Thursday, um, uh, former President Trump and 18 other individuals uh, were arraigned or, or were uh, yeah, arraigned uh, in Fulton County District Court uh, and ordered to surrender uh, for uh, booking and you know, mugshot fingerprints, etc. And you know, that also uh, drove a lot of the political discussion. And you know, all 19 uh, co-defendants, uh, have reported. They've all been uh, given their mugshot. They've been fingerprinted. Uh, they have been processed into the system and they will return to uh, the Fulton County Court uh, at a later date uh, within a month, I believe, for formal arraignment where the charges will be read uh, to them and they will enter their pleas and so forth. So right now we have, you know, the former president of the United States uh, is now facing four felony uh, charges in uh, three different jurisdictions uh, while being a candidate for president of the United States. Now, what, uh, you know, an ordinary person might just choose to say, okay, you know what, I'm going to go sit over here in the corner and, you know, work all this stuff out. Um, but uh, what has uh, the 45th president been doing? He's been fundraising. In the last week, he has raised more than uh, $20 million off this latest uh, indictment, uh, which brings his total for all four to something around $70 million all in. Uh, and, you know, for the life of me, I, I don't understand how uh, people continue to send him money that, you know, they believe is to support his presidential candidacy when, in fact, 70% of it is going to pay his legal fees. Um, and it's funny one of the um, uh, political pundits on one of the uh, mainstream media shows uh, raised the question of, you know, why does this guy need to raise money for his legal fees? Um, he's a billionaire. You know, he could afford to pay his own legal fees, but yet he continues to reach out and, you know, perform his grift on his supporters uh, to to get them to send him their money, uh, and, and it's funny there was there was a a clip played on one of the shows 
where he actually said out loud uh, on on camera and on microphone that, you know, he uh, believes in using OPM, other people's money, not his own. Um, I don't know about you, but if, you know, there's a billionaire out there who hasn't put a dime into, you know, his campaign or, you know, his legal defense, I don't know why he would expect me to contribute my hard-earned money uh, to him when he's got no skin in the game. So, you know, there there is that aspect of it. But anyway, so we now have, um, you know, 19 mugshots of all of the defendants in uh, the Georgia case, uh, which is interesting because the other three federal cases, uh, it was decided that they weren't going to get a mugshot of the former president because, in, in their words, there are more than enough uh, pictures of him in the public sphere so that a, a mugshot isn't required. But, oh no, Fannie Willis in Georgia said, no sir, uh, you come here, sit down, and take your picture, just like any other citizen would uh, who is being arraigned for a crime. So kudos to Fannie Willis, uh, kudos to uh, the Georgia team for holding uh, the, the former president accountable to the rules that apply to all citizens of the United States. Um, you know, that, to me, that is a, a good sign of the rule of law taking its rightful place uh, in in uh, the goings-on in our criminal justice system. So, yeah, so he was uh, brought down to the Fulton County Jail. He was uh, given his mug shot. Uh, they took his height. They took his weight, uh, fingerprinted him. And, oh, by the way, he listed his height according to the questionnaire, and apparently it was filled out by someone else, not by him per se. Uh, it listed him as um, six foot three and 215 pounds. Now, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the formal pres the former president uh, in his golf gear, but um, to me, that does not look like 215 pounds. I'm sorry. Uh, that looks like you know 230 to 35 to 40 or, or north of there. So you know it, it again, it's, you know, kind of laughable how the the people around the former president spin the information to his his favor and his benefit, uh, even when the evidence shows that it is, you know, clearly not true. But, you know, hey, everybody has their vanity. So here he has now been um, uh, arraigned on, you know, four uh, sets of charges in three different jurisdictions. Donald Trump now faces a total of uh, 91 uh, felony counts. And, you know, truth be told, uh, he may, you know, a, a, a chunk of them may get dismissed um, or, you know, he may he may get out of them. But realize that most of these counts carry between five and 20 years of jail time. 
So all it really takes is for him to be found guilty of one out of the 91 charges uh, before, you know, he's going to be remanded into custody or, you know, go into the appeal system, which is expected um, and, and so forth. Um, the the other point to make on that is that because he's under indictment, there are rules that he needs to follow in order to maintain his qualification to be free on bail uh, pending trial. Uh, most notably, uh, he is uh, forbidden from uh, communicating with or interfering with or intimidating uh, witnesses, uh, the prosecutors, attorneys, uh, or anyone else involved with the case. He's also precluded from having conversations with his co-defendants uh, in the various charges without the presence of counsel. Uh, and, you know, he is absolutely under uh, restrictions as to what he can say with regard to the trial. Now, arguably, um, depending on who you talk to, uh, he's already violated at least two of those. Uh, he's made comments about uh, District Attorney Willis. Uh, he made comments about uh, District Attorney Bragg in New York, um, and you know, and and so forth. Uh, he uh, further disparaged uh, E. Jean Carroll, who he lost a judgment to, a civil judgment to, uh, and as a net result. Uh, he is being sued again by her for defamation. So, I mean, Donald Trump has a mouth problem in that his mouth won't stop. And, you know, I'm I'm not a betting man, but I'll I'll put a dollar that he is before one of the judges that he's facing uh, in fairly short order, um, arguing as to why he should not be taken into custody and you know placed in jail pending trial now you know that action uh, does have uh, consequences uh, it is clear that uh, should he be you know arrested and incarcerated uh, his supporters are are going to be upset with that and there's the potential for all kinds of repercussions that could come from that um, also, I mean, he is a former president. Um, you know, he is a candidate for president in the 2024 election, and he's entitled to uh, be on the campaign trail and campaigning. So how that would work out is uh, something that will need to be fleshed out and explained as to how that would happen. Um and, you know, just just as as a side note, uh, wouldn't you just love to be the Secret Service agent and have to guard, um, you know, the president while sitting in a jail cell uh, in Fulton County Jail or in uh, Rikers Island or somewhere? Um, yeah, that that's that's good duty to have. But anyway, um so, you know, there are a lot of elements to this that uh, are still yet to be played out. Uh, we will see what happens. Obviously, we are going to keep, you know, uh, a close eye on this and keep you apprised of 
what's going on, what's coming out in the mainstream media, what others are talking about it, uh, what's coming out in the political circles, and all of that. So keep it locked here on the Fired Up Podcast on WJMS Media, and we will keep you up to date. All right, so normally about this time, we would uh, take a break uh, and do a public service announcement, but we're going to take a slightly different track uh, this time. As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, this past weekend, there was a, uh, a rally and a march in Washington, D.C., marking the 60th anniversary of the August 28th, 1963 March on Washington for Jobs, Peace, and Freedom, where the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, King gave his iconic uh, speech, including the I Have a Dream segment, which has you know, been uh, heard around the world multiple times. Um, so what we're going to do in honor of that event, because uh, the 28th of August uh, actually is Monday, and uh, you know we will uh, mark that milestone here on this show, uh, we're going to play Martin Luther King's speech. But let me caveat it. The speech that probably most of you are most familiar with the you know the so-called I have a dream speech where you know it begins with I have a dream and goes on from there Um, that's actually about the last third of a 17 minute speech that he gave on the mall in Washington DC on August 28 1963 um, the, the speech was, is, is originally entitled, um, We're Here to Cash a Check. And the, the first uh, roughly two-thirds uh, of the, the speech deals with what um, you know, African Americans, uh, well, in those days, you know, we were called Negroes, so you'll hear that term, but what was going on in the time contemporary to when this speech was given. The rally was uh, for, as it said in the title, for jobs, for peace, and for freedom. And the first part of the speech that Dr. King gives addresses those elements. Uh, Again, contextualize it for um, 1963, and, you know, you will find... Um, the the interesting uh, corollaries to what's going on today. So you know some of the language uh, is different. Again, it's 1963. Um, there was no woke. There there was no weaponization. Uh, by the way, I hate those words. Um, and you know his speech was all about that there had been promises made to black people in this country um, after the Civil War. We've talked about, you know, reparations and and all of that on this show before, but uh, he gets into it from the standpoint of the American government basically uh, issued a promissory note to black Americans that they would uh, receive some sort of recompense 
for you know the the suffering that they went through during slavery and immediately after so with that being said i give you the speech from dr martin luther king jr uh, delivered on the washington mall on august 28th 1963. Uh, please pay attention. Uh, it is uh, powerful, uh, it is moving, and it is a true part of American history. Here without further delay is Dr. Martin Luther King. To you, Dr. Martin Luther King, they are. happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, The Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, 
America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time. make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summit of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hoped that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro has granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must fail to conduct our struggle on the highest plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence.
again and again. We must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up 
live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low the rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together this is our hope this is a faith that I go back to the south with with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom reign from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom reign from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom reign from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom reign from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom reign from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. 
Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And there you have it, the full speech delivered by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King at the Washington, I'm sorry, at the uh, Washington Mall in front of the Lincoln Memorial on August 28th, 1963. Sixty years ago this weekend, that speech was delivered. And I have to say, whenever I hear the full speech and truthfully, I can count probably on one hand, maybe two, and have a bunch of fingers left over as to the number of times I've heard the full speech, the first, the first two-thirds, and the uh, closing section, the I Have a Dream section. But I've heard that I Have a Dream speech probably hundreds of times over the years. And you... you I have to ask the question, why is the only part of that powerful speech that has been uh, presented to the public over the six decades since it was given is that last uh, seven minutes of a 17-minute speech? Uh, I have a theory. Uh, it's because that last part, the I have a dream part is aspirational. You know, it raises our thinking to a, uh, a level of hopefulness, to a level of uh, uh, want for something better. The first part of that speech is all about holding the government accountable for what it has done since the Emancipation Proclamation and before. Right? And we've talked about you know, the events that have transpired uh, through slavery, through the Civil War, through uh, Reconstruction, through Emancipation, and all of that on this show several times. Uh, so what we have uh, is uh, an edited speech that reflects a, in my opinion, an intention to revise the historical context. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like some things that we are uh, seeing and hearing and experiencing now? Like, uh, I don't know, in Florida? So, you know, we, we have to, as we say on this show, hearing the whole speech, getting the whole speech, 
and it's available in multiple sources but if you're having difficulty finding it you can always go to the Library of Congress it is on file there it is free to download and listen to uh, again and again and again um, you know we have to understand and absorb and uh, uh, listen to clearly with that third ear all the message that he brought to that that mall that day the the people that were in that march they came as he said because there was a payment due they were owed money they were owed compensation they were owed reparations all of these things even back 60 years ago in 1963 maybe even more so than today those were very unpopular subjects to bring up so as a result what happens could they eliminate the entire speech no they couldn't really because it was nationally televised uh, it was broadcast around the world uh, it has you know it was recorded and has been played you know as I said many many thousands of times over the years so it is not something that they could just disappear but it is something that they could edit to the part that they could uh, for lack of a better word tolerate so it's okay for uh, you know uh, downtrodden and disenfranchised and you know uh, people to have hopes and dreams that's fine according to the powers that be but to have a a figure such as Dr. King stand in front of the Lincoln Monument Lincoln Memorial where uh, the the uh, author and signator of the Emancipation Proclamation is represented and call into account the government of the United States for at that time you know a uh, hundred years since the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed since then it's more than 160 years to today uh, and still that check has not been cashed that note is still due and it it serves as a reminder that no matter what accomplishments we have made in the interim time there is still more work to do there is still more discussion to be had there is still more demands to be made and until a full reckoning of all of those elements of uh, slavery and Jim Crow and segregation and you know the the current crop of uh, you know book banning and all of that you know the the so-called and, and again I hate the word woke but this so-called anti-woke movement that we find ourselves suffering through now um, we still have work to do we still have elements of his message 
that we need to live up to, that we need to make part of our everyday effort at making this a better country. So, you know, by all means, grab a copy of this speech, um, listen to it, uh, listen to it many times until you understand it. But until we get to a point where, um, you know, as as he said, where we are exclusively judged by the content of our character and not by the color of our skin, we will still have work to do in America. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you all, as always, for listening. Uh, you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. If you have comments or questions or would like to weigh in on what your thoughts are on the full context of uh, the speech given by Martin Luther King uh, in 1963, uh, please send an email to the show, as always, firedupradio at yahoo.com. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. I really do. All right. So everybody, stay safe, take care, and I look forward to speaking with you again in seven days. Mm-hmm.